Welcome to The Highway to Well with Derek Bell. Today we're talking to Sean Foy, an internationally renowned expert on fitness, weight management, and healthy living. He's been awarded the Nike Go, a National Health Educator of the Year Award, and he's appeared on ABC, NBC, Fox, and CBS. He's a dear friend whose message reverberates with authenticity, empathy, and intention. He also clearly articulates that when we value purpose, our pathway to wellness will be brighter and more fulfilling. In this episode, we're going to talk about journeys, mostly about ourselves and the people we work with, but we'll also address changes in the field and where it's going. And then we'll end with a discussion of kavana, a Hebrew word for direction, intention, or purpose. Thank you again for listening. Let's get on the highway to well. All right, Sean Foy, welcome to the Highway to Well. I'm so fortunate to have you on today. Um, Thank you, my man. Thanks so much, Derek. Yeah, it's been a wonderful set of feelings about getting you on. I know you've been traveling and have had some amazing journeys, but um, since we met a few years ago when, when I brought you in here to Stevens Point, Wisconsin to be a keynote for our Ministry Wellness Summit, the biggest reason why I was very excited to bring you to that summit and why I love this opportunity to talk to you today is that you, for me, in this field, we can often be too academic in our pursuit to try to make people live better lives. We can also be didactic or overly didactic in that approach mm-hmm. where we can end up being patronizing and actually turn people away from the obvious choices of living a healthy lifestyle. And when I was researching you and your work, I was impressed by your authenticity and your empathy and the way that you cared about your clients and and the groups of people that you are working with. There was this shared feeling of being touched by you, by other people that I had talked to that you had presented or worked with. Um, And I felt that of of all times for us to be trying to usher people in on new pathways to wellness, that you were this shining light of hope that really connected with people. And that was incredibly important to me and to have you be a part of this experience that I was building for others. But then personally too, how you've touched me and have supported um, and all the different things that we've talked about, about health and wellness and trying to make this, uh, field grow and think about the that journey to what it means to be human. But I want you to talk mm. a little bit about that path to here. How did Sean Foy, the expert, get to arriving at the wonderful, authentic, empathetic, caring individual that you are today? Oh, my goodness, Derek. You are way too kind, buddy. Um, the only thing I can really agree with there is I'm definitely not academic. <laughs> I mean, that, that, is, uh, that is so um, thank you for that introduction, Derek. And um, I, I actually feel 
um, the same way towards you, bud, and all all that you're doing and the lives that you're touching. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work you're doing, and I love that uh, you got this podcast going. I'm so proud of you. It's fantastic. Thank um, you. You know, yeah. I mean, you're you're just an inspiration to me and so many others, and I'm so glad you're on the air and sharing sharing all that you've got to share with others. It's fantastic. Um, you know. I often share, Derek, my story with people because um, it's it's really, I think there's a personal story and a professional story. And I think for most of us in the health, wellness, well-being field, you know, we've all got a story, right? And I, I think that's something we forget often is that our clients also have a story. Um, and that story, we need to hear that. We need to understand where they're coming from. And so for me personally, I'll go back. Maybe it will be helpful to share a little bit of my journey, and then we can talk a little bit more about the direction where I've been headed over the last few years. But for me personally, um, one of my passions when I was younger was was football. I, as a young child, dreamt of playing football. I dreamt of playing college, and then ultimately going into the the pros. And something was interesting for me. My purpose in life was truly to play football. <laughs> and Derek, I know you as a coach and as an athlete, and for those that are listening, you know, when, when you have a game or a focus, something that you can train for daily, it, it, it becomes everything to you. And uh, so every moment of my day was consumed with training uh, in some capacity. And as you do that, as you are very passionate about something, you become pretty good at it. And uh, I started noticing just the, the accolades coming along the way. But what's interesting for me, one day in college, I actually made it to play college football, and I was the captain of our college football team. I'll never forget it. Um, it's something I often tell folks is it was a summer day for morning, and I woke up, and Derek, it was one of those experiences that you'll, you'll never forget. It's, I was literally, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed. I was exhausted physically, but emotionally, uh, I was, I, I didn't realize at the time, but I was clearly struggling with some depression. I didn't know what was going on with me, but I just didn't feel like getting out of bed. I, I pushed myself to get out of bed. I made it to practice. And, but the whole time I was just wondering what is going on with me? Well, this, this feeling, this, this sensation, this lack of energy, this apathy, it was not me, um, and, and unfortunately, I, had, I didn't have tools to understand what was happening with me. Well, we went through the season, and actually, fortunately, I was able to make it through the season, but what I was noticing was my passion and my love for the game was waning, and what was happening, Derek, is I was a senior, and I was already, already had an agent. I was already moving towards looking at professional football, and I was realizing at that moment that the game no longer was fun for me. It was actually becoming more of a job. What was interesting was that experience um, propelled me into a much, I would say, a deep existential crisis. Uh, I began to realize that my why, my, my purpose in life was a game. It was football. But once that was done and I was stepping away from it, I was leaving college, moving into professional sports 
it no longer had the love or, or I no longer had the love and the passion for the game. And as a small linebacker anyways, um, if you don't have a passion for the game, you better step away from the game because you're going to get your butt kicked. <laughs> and so I, I went overseas and played professional football overseas, but I, I was really not enjoying it like I, I used to. And what was interesting about that is it opened me up to asking some very big questions, questions about life, the, the larger meaning of life. Why are we here? What is this all for? And so it propelled me, actually, when I came back to the States, I actually enrolled into graduate school. My undergrad was in exercise physiology, and I decided to enroll in graduate school in the area of psychology, but I was also studying philosophy and theology. Really, Derek, honestly, trying to answer the big questions of life, right? Why are we here? Why am I here? What is my purpose? These were huge questions. And at the time, I was very thankful that I had the opportunity to ask some very poignant questions of myself. And so I, for me personally, I can relate to many individuals when they are at that place of feeling like, I don't know, know what my why is. I personally, when I lost my, my why, my passion for football, I lost my way. I didn't know where to go. I literally felt like, what's next? I have no clue. I devoted all of my energy into this sport. So I often share with people, it's kind of like the movie Holes. I don't know if you remember the, the movie, but it was a fantastic movie. It was mm-hmm. you know, this character, Stanley Yelnitz, was, you know, he was condemned to a, a juvenile uh, detention center at Camp Green Lake. And he was told that his punishment for stealing a pair of tennis shoes, a professional baseball player's tennis shoes, he was told, you have to dig holes as your punishment. I think it was over a, a year sentence that he was with other juveniles. And every day they were responsible. They were given a shovel and they were told to dig a hole as wide as a shovel and as deep as a shovel. And every day they'd get up and they'd dig a hole and they had no clue why they were digging and they were digging and digging and digging. And, you know, I felt like that, Derek. And I think there's many people, I think many of our clients, many of the individuals we're working with have no idea why they're getting up in the morning. And then when we ask them to exercise or eat well or take better care of themselves, they're I don't think they're articulating this, but internally there's this deeper existential why. Why should I do that? And so in, in the movie, it's fantastic because Stanley Yelnitz, you know, he's, he has no clue why the warden has him digging these holes every day from sunup to sundown, they're digging these holes. And finally, you know, he, one day he's sitting in this hole and he's exhausted. He's done. He's just physically exhausted, emotionally spent, spiritually done. He's just, he's ready to quit. That was me, Derek. That was me with football, but it was such a blessing because it forced me to really begin to ask the hard questions, the deeper questions of life and of myself. And so that propelled me really to get into the wellness field and the well-being field And I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunity to share with people that you can get out of that hole. You can. Um, You don't have to stay there. Although I know what it feels like to have clinical depression and be there. Um, And so I think when you share the empathy, Derek, it's really natural for me because I, I lived it and I would never want really anyone to stay in that hole. And so every time I speak or I share with an audience or an individual, I oftentimes think of that hole that I was in, and it reminds me of, you know, sometimes in our 
deepest, darkest days, um, truly they're blessings in disguise. We don't realize that through our suffering and our pain, we can find the light. We can get out of the hole. And um, I've discovered some things and some great, great experts in the field that are really guiding us and helping us to help others get out of that hole and stay out of that hole. And so that's what I've been really been doing over the last 28 years now. 28 years, Derek. Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm old, bud. You're fresh. <laughs> You're fresh. You're fresh. There you go. Good. Yeah. I I think, you know, and I think maybe this is one of the reasons why I feel connected to you and your in in what your work obviously means too, but I think deep down and all of us that are in this field want to um we are well we we feel appreciated um in that in that voice of empathy that you have. So like your journey can help you relate to not in a direct way but oftentimes in an indirect mm -hmm. way because then yeah. then we avoid that that part of being a in the wellness field that can sometimes feel patronizing and like i said earlier I, you're right. you're so authentic in your work but i mean i think everyone and you mentioned it too we all have a story and and it's interesting as we go around the field and talk to others that have gravitated towards wellness as a as a either their professional pursuit or part of many things that they're doing but is involved in their in their uh, work and helping people change lives you know for me it was being in a really dark place when i was in law school and feeling incredibly lost at a young age when you're really not you haven't figured a lot of other things out as well and like you as you're describing the the holes um and not feeling like you can move. It's almost like you're in a, you're in, you're in a, like a period of stasis where you just feel like, right. Like you just can't do anything. And, and, you know, for me it was during that period and, and I really had been, it was incredibly uncomfortable as a person um, surrounded by others that I didn't connect with to get to the points of in, in what we look at, in the field to help people grow is that feeling of connectedness was lost. And yeah. I, I had lost my creativity. Um, I felt that had been completely stifled in this very um, Socratic learning environment that was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I also felt there was no love. I had no love or passion. And if that's gone, then all this other stuff really doesn't matter. And, there were yep. days where I was, I just didn't attend class. I'm sorry if my parents are hearing this for the first time. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it's been plenty of years. They should understand by now that this is the pathway to dropping out of law school. But uh, then I, but I, for me, one of the saviors in all this was my connection to sport. And that mm -hmm. me was a catalyst to keep moving day by day with, this burden of a, and, and, you know, in graduate school, it's a financial obligation. So I had a massive financial obligation that I was feeling miserable about because I no longer wanted to attend, but I had put a massive amount of money into this, pro, into this. And then also the burden of carrying um, the feelings and aspirations of my family too, of 
being a champion of success for my family, which was being distilled and in my own way and being confused about how I was going to get out of this horrible situation. But I also, but I also had the opportunity to stay connected with, with the one thing that I, that I did love. The one thing that could get me out of bed um, was coaching soccer. And that is, Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. kept me going. And then it allowed, and then along the way, and I always go back to, there's a movie a few, that was made a few years ago, Tim Robbins, um, it's called Jacob's Ladder, where he's, mm-hmm. where he's, you never quite figure out exactly what state of, of life he's in because he was, at the beginning of the film, he's in Vietnam, and then there's a lot of gunfire, and then he wakes up as a mailman. And along the way, he finds out that there's angels and demons, so there's people trying to pull him down, but then there's people trying to show him the light. And, so in that mm-hmm. period, I had a couple people that were my shining lights that helped me figure out that I don't need this life that I felt like I was holding on to. And my gifts could be delivered to others in different ways. And I'd never thought of myself right. as someone that could deliver gifts to people, you know, but that led me to come um, to enter the field of wellness. Ultimately, that was... Mm-hmm. That is where I entered in and, and then obviously meet wonderful people like you. But one of the things that I love about your story and about hearing about your approach, and I want to get back to a little bit of, so where you were as a practitioner when you first started, and this gets into how we relate our messages to people. And so, you know, and I've, we've talked about how, Oftentimes when I, I've shown up to deliver men's health talks to an audience at a factory, how well-received the wellness guy is when he walks into the room. Um, <laughs> you're the first person you want to see. Is, oh, okay. All right. Here comes our wellness guy to give us our talk about cholesterol again. But um, right. so, it, you know, we've talked about this too and about the, what it takes to get people to change. And, and so how did you learn? along that way to move your ideas about making change from that practitioner practical X's and O's level to getting into that sense of self and the, in that, again, getting back to that existential journey. Yeah. You know, there was um, a pivotal time. Actually, it's interesting, Derek, as you were sharing about angels and those individuals in your life that um, shed that light upon you and, interesting i was so i was in graduate school my undergrad was exercise physiology i was working as a personal trainer and i just started our company providing health and fitness services to two organizations and i was actually working at a, a company we were doing health risk appraisal testing for this company and i'll never forget it i met a gentleman by the name of frank frank was a vietnam vet he was about five foot eight about 450 pounds he walked into the office I was there in, and he, he was, you could tell right away, Derek, and you know what I'm talking about. This guy was not happy to be there. As you mentioned, you know, walking into a room full of guys and talking about cholesterol, and I could just see it in his face. He just, you know, plopped down on a chair, and he basically said, you know, how do I get paid to take that health risk appraisal questionnaire? And so, you know, I, I, I was fresh, you know, 
coming back from playing football overseas. I was in graduate school, just starting out in the area of psychology. And so I, I just thought, oh, here's a cool opportunity to help this guy. I just met him. And it was one of those moments, Derek, where it's like if time stopped, this was, this was an opportunity for Sean to be schooled by this gentleman. <laughs> I had no idea. But you and I both know, right, you meet people in your life and it can be difficult. In fact, it was. Um, as Frank and I were talking, or at least when I was talking, because I felt like I knew a lot. I could share with him my training, my undergraduate work. And anyways, so I started to encourage him. I said, well, hey, Frank, I'd love to get to know you. And are you interested in anything? He, he abruptly stopped me and he, he cussed me out a little bit. Um, used a few expletives and he basically said, look, I don't even know why you're doing all this nutrition exercise crap. I, I, I'm not interested in any way. I have no clue why you're doing it. And so I literally felt like as an athlete, right, Derek, okay, here we go. Let's challenge time. Let, let me give him some facts. Right. And so I threw out this fact of, Hey, Frank, did you know if you were just to exercise a little bit more, you know, on a regular basis, you could live seven more years. And I'm like, oh, that's good. You know, my own mind, I'm thinking, oh, that's really good. What's he going to do with that? And here's this guy, this Vietnam decorated vet, looked at me. I swear, Derek, if, if he were any closer, he probably would have punched me because he, he looked at me, his face turned red, and he basically stared me down for a moment. It felt like an hour. You know, he just looked at me and he said, what if you don't want to live seven more years? And honestly, Derek, it was like a pin dropped. I, I looked at him and I pretended like I didn't hear him. And I said, you know what? And he said, yeah, I know it. I've been slowly killing myself. And I really don't give a, a few other you know, expletives along the way. And he literally looked at me like, what's your answer now, wellness boy? Right? And Derek, I had no answer. Mm -hmm. Frank had just schooled me. He, I think he was speaking on behalf of humanity. I really do. <laughs> like, why in the world would I exercise or eat well or take better care of myself if I don't care about myself, if I have no reason to live? He basically said that. He goes, Sean, I know I'm slowly killing myself. I, I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I had no response, Derek, none whatsoever. But here's what's ha what happened. And this was the blessing. I was embarrassed. And I, I know, you know, most of us as health professionals, we've all been there. You know, we feel like we've got to have all the answers and we don't. And I didn't clearly have any answer for him because I was still wrestling myself. And I was almost like if I really were honest with Frank, I would go, Frank, you're right. Why, why do these things? Okay, it helps us to be healthier and to live longer. But why live longer? What's the reason behind that? And so my head was spinning. We talked a little bit more. He kind of cussed me out a little bit more. But it, during that time, something happened. And I don't know if it was because of my own experience. He may have seen a little bit of compassion. I, I, maybe he saw that what he said to me was pretty hard. And maybe he thought a little guilt. I don't know. I'm not sure why. But the next day he came back. And we just sat and I just listened. And that was the one thing in graduate school I was learning. And that was the best thing that you can do is to truly allow an individual to share their story. And so I just began to inquire. I began to ask Frank to tell me more about himself. And my gosh, Derek, I, I listened to this man share 
the horrors that he experienced in Vietnam, mm-hmm. he began to open up. He began to share a soul with me. He began to share who he was. And, and what I began to see was this amazing hero, this strong, I mean, unbelievable human being, but was in so much pain. And honestly, Derek, he started to share with me how when he came back from Vietnam, the drug addiction that he wrestled with, the alcoholism, he was drinking a case of Coke a day just to survive, just to get through a day, you know? And it, 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 I didn't, we met Derek daily, almost daily, for sometimes 15 minutes, sometimes a half an hour, sometimes he'd come, we'd have lunch together. Honestly, for months on end, I never mentioned exercise, nutrition, wellness, well-being. I never mentioned the word. I just listened and we talked and we became friends. And what was amazing was Frank began to just open up his heart, opened up his soul to me. And it was interesting because during that time, Frank, uh, as he began to share, one day, it was probably about eight months later, he asked me, he said, Sean, hey, um, do you mind teaching me a little bit about exercise? I'd, I'd like to start an exercise program. And Derek, honestly, so my mouth, like I, I was, had to be careful not to let it drop to the floor. But <laughs> honestly, my, my thought was, why? Why? Why now, Frank? What, what's changed? What's mm-hmm. changed over the last eight months? And he, I did ask the question. I go, Frank, what, you know, do you mind if I ask why? And he looked at me again with differently, though. Intensity, yes. The eyes of a warrior, absolutely. But what I saw was this deep love and compassion. It's always, it was there from the moment, the day I met him. But he looked at me and he said, Sean, it's for my daughter. Mm. Said, I want to be there to walk her down the aisle. And when he said that, it's almost like, Derek, it hit me. It's like, of course, of course. If we don't have a reason, if we don't have a deeper why to, to exercise, to eat well, to take care, better care of ourselves, to sleep, you name it, the self-care that we all need, if we don't have a reason, we're not going to do it. And Frank opened up really the idea for me to, it's much deeper than just telling people, you need to exercise more. You need to eat clean. You know, you, you need to take better care of yourself. I was doing a disservice to our industry um, by just what I call really now the blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. telling people they need to do what they know to do. Mm-hmm. So it set me on a journey to study and research. And, and, and I, along the way, Derek, obviously meeting individuals like you and Dr. Vic Strecker and reading individuals like Viktor Frankl and oh my goodness that if we can have people find a clear reason to get up in the morning a deeper reason I think as health professionals we've done them a tremendous service along the way obviously we can help them with the what to do and how to do it but I think if we can start with why if we can start with that purpose and help them unlock it and I, I really believe that Derek I don't think finding it. We don't, we don't necessarily, it's not, purpose is not something we find. I really believe it's something we unlock. I think it's within us. Um, I think it's something that we ultimately determine. And, and that's something that I think that 
I'm learning more and more about, you know, our purpose is really it's the essence of who we are. It's what makes us unique. It's, it's our active expression of, it's really the deepest dimension within us, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, where we have a profound sense of who we are and why we're here. And so I saw that in Frank. And ever since then, it's been the driving force for me personally in our industry to combine that with fitness, for example. You know, helping people find their why to move mm-hmm. and to be fit. Why? Um, so anyways, that, that's, that was a huge opportunity for me to understand more about the deeper dynamic of an individual, starting with why and starting with really who an individual is and who they want to become. Yeah, I think we've, we've gotten ourselves, it, we've confused the process to living well with some things that you've hinted at in this story. And it's so important for us to learn and then grow and, and grow the field in, in a way that makes sense to more people. What I mean by that is for years, we've, you know, when you, especially when you go into the wellness field academically, you're immediately, um, you know, you're, you have a wellness model put in front of you and then you discuss wellness models. And typically these models are beautiful pie chart type graphs that have these inner, these so-called interconnected areas that are interdependent and all equal and equally balanced areas like social wellness, physical wellness, occupational wellness. And, and so that already has projected an image of what wellness is. And so oftentimes if you ask the average person about wellness, they're going to immediately uh, start gravitating towards a discussion about physical fitness or nutrition, which is great. That's fine, but that's not really what we're talking about. And that's exactly what you're pointing out with your story with Frank is that wellness in, in by, by the own definition, like national wellness's definition of, of wellness is a pursuit of, you know, making healthy choices that lead to a more successful existence. I don't know what that really means. I honestly don't. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I worked there for 10 years and was the leader of the national wellness conference. And I still, and it was a discussion we had internally because we had people asking some of these questions, like, what does this mean? What does it mean to, you know, what does it mean to be live successfully? Well, what if, what if I have cancer and, am I well, or what do I, how do I actually combine, like, how does all this work really? And then we get ourselves caught yeah. in trouble because then we provide things like, like you said, and, and I've been there too, where we're providing health risk assessments that then dive into these areas to figure out how well we are in certain areas without even asking the first question is your why. And that is really where it all starts. And I think this is where you and I become strongly connected is I come at the field more because my academic background was in cultural anthropology and sociology. I'm already looking at the contextual layers of how we, of interconnectedness and how culture and society work to provide the opportunities for people to live well. And then because of some of that background in public health, then you start to get into these risk factors or what, what, what are the barriers for people living well? <clears throat> but then at the end of the day, it comes back to some just basic human needs. And that was where I feel like 
there's some really strong voices now in the field talking about wellness as opposed to being a group of interdependent um, dimensions that are equal to get to the core of what values or, um, or I guess you could say a value-based way of thinking about wellness, not a model, but just a way. So are we resilient? Do we have hope? Do we have skills? Do we feel good about our skill set to, to do something that we feel incredible about, whether that's a hobby work or sport, are we connected to, Mm -hmm. which I know if, if you listen to Rachel, um, Druckenmiller's in my podcast a a couple of weeks ago, we talked a lot about isolation and how isolation is Mm -hmm. so important. And we overlook that because we want to talk about kale versus spinach or, Right, certain type of exercise movement, but we forget that all these pieces are, they don't really matter much until we get to the why. And 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 I've been chewing on, on thinking about how these four there's four things that I really think are important for us to discuss and how they fit into people's lives, and that's creativity and mm. contribution. Are people giving back in some way? to something that matters to them? Are we connected to others? And then in terms of care, not only self-care, but are we empathetic in understanding of the paths that other people are on so that we can help them without being, again, didactic and patronizing, but are we actually listening and being empathetic to their needs? And and for generations, I, I think we we have people that have done that. And, and obviously, someone like Vic Strecker has, has been a f- out in the forefront of talking about the human mm-hmm. and our needs and and being empathetic and caring. And these are all significant pieces among many others that he's talking about. But as a field, we've spent so much time talking about risk management that we've lost the core of the soul to some degree. And I feel like I feel like we're starting to regain it. I feel hopeful about the future. I agree. People like you and Rachel and um, others that are out talking about caring for others. That's our pathway to wellness. Caring for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Those are our pathways. So wellness isn't a model or a definition, but it's a pathway. And And those are things that are evident in your work, like your story with Frank here. Um, that continue to shine through and help us usher in this, this general, this new way of thinking. Yeah. And you know what, Derek, which what's amazing to me is Frank actually from that moment that he uh, saw it in his eyes and you know what I'm talking about when you see that it, it all comes together and, and the eyes of a warrior here, he was so diligent about, exercising and eating well he lost over 150 pounds he he began to explore other areas of his own personal well-being looking more at the emotional the relational and some of the suffering that he really was pushing away um it, it continued to haunt him for years and but he began to face it and, you know Derek, i'm not sure we don't talk enough about that i mean victor frankel is probably one of my favorite authors and you know for those that may not be familiar with Viktor Frankl, he is an amazing author and um, psychiatrist. And what's interesting about Viktor Frankl is he believed that 
man's greatest need is this will to meaning, right? This idea that we have to find meaning and purpose in our lives. And if we don't, we will find a way to distract ourselves. And typically that will lend itself to, you, you name, you name the vice, right? You, something that will cover that pain, that, that vacuum, that existential vacuum that we all have, but we avoid it. And I know for me personally, I love football, but it was in many ways, it was a way that I didn't have to ask, ask the hard questions. I was so busy, Derek. I was so involved with sport. And like you mentioned, sports can be a very healthy thing. But what it became for me was something, oh boy, my whole identity was centered around what I did as an athlete. If I didn't have a good game, you can ask my, my wife now. She was my girlfriend at the time. I was miserable, right? And it's like it was, it was everything. It was really who I was. And I think Viktor Frankl, he points out that there's really three types of meaning. You know, there's ultimate meaning. That's the deeper, bigger question, you know, this transcendent question of why are we here? That's a very spiritual, theological question, right? I begin to explore that. That's a really, that's a whole nother hour podcast to talk about that one, right? That's a big one. But that's something we all need to ask ourselves. And where do we land on that question? And that's a question sometimes we, we may ask ourselves when our head hits the pillow. And, but really, I think the, the, the other area that Viktor Frankl talks a lot about is our meaning in life. You know, what is our, our calling? What is our cause? What is our pursuit? And then I think the third area he addresses is meaning in the moment. And this is beautiful to think about it. Derek, and you alluded to this. This is this idea of creating, right, through your work or, or through even your gifts or your talents or your strengths. Um, it's also through the area of encountering you know, seeing beauty or, or falling in love or, or being in nature or, or being one with art, that's an encountering experience. It's, I think mindfulness has grown so much in our area, right, in, in the wellness well-being field because of that. And Frank pointed this out in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the most important one that we don't talk about. And I know maybe another time you and I can spend a whole hour talking about this one is the area of suffering. Viktor Frankl, you know, as a, as a Jewish man, was um, incarcerated, taken to concentration camp during Nazi Germany's reign. And he, as an individual, endured suffering that none of us could ever imagine. I actually was in Germany and went to Dachau. And um, just, just being there, the experience of being there was overwhelming to me, Derek, to think that people went through such atrocities. Mm-hmm. But here's what was amazing to me is that Viktor Frankl and others, and this is what he realized, those that found a purpose, a way to, to reframe their suffering as, as almost in a way that, that he was going to get through this, he was going to see his family, he was going to see his wife, he was going to tell people about his experience. He was literally taking notes while he was in, in the concentration camp. And his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is really that, that study. And then he became, you know, the, the father of logotherapy and this idea that we can become well by finding meaning and purpose that's foundational is something that really resonated with me. It really helped me understand that helping people find meaning and purpose in their life is helping them to find significance. And then it points to a, a really an opportunity to talk about their identity and who they are and who they want to be. And so I think 
there are experts. In, and when I think of experts, I, I oftentimes think of Viktor Frankl, because as you mentioned, Derek, and like we've experienced in our lives, and I think, I think everyone has a story of suffering. We don't talk enough about it. And we don't talk about how the suffering can be extremely beneficial. One of the things, and we, I know it, it seems really um, cold and callous to mention that someone that's going through deep pain, and that's something we, we, we can't do. But one thing that I oftentimes ask people to do is to write down three experiences in your life that were extremely difficult for you, whether it be uh, a loss of a loved one, whether it be a divorce, whether it be a painful loss at a job or a failure in some way in your own eyes, like mine with football, right? Of just feeling like I was a failure that I wasn't able to lead my team and I was lost all my energy and my hope was gone, but I felt like a failure. But what I ask people to do is write down those three experiences and then on the other side of the page, flip the page and ask yourself, how have you become stronger, more resilient, deeper, more empathetic, more compassionate, because of those experiences and Derek what's it's almost like this aha like of mm -hmm. course my life is so much richer and deeper and better because because of that suffering now don't get me wrong I would never want to go back to the pain that those experiences dealt me but honestly if we look at it in a, with a different lens a different perspective oftentimes that's where we gain our hope that's where we gain our optimism. That's where we begin to gain those strengths that really prop us up and make us more resilient and stronger in so many different ways. And so the work of Frankel, and I think in the wellness field and well-being field, I think this area of life is hard. We don't talk enough about that. It's difficult. Uh, we're busy. We're going. The, I think uh, we're, we're moving at a pace now, Derek, where we're so distracted. We've got so many things going on right? So much technology. Pace of life is extremely fast. Mm -hmm. How do we help people slow down enough to ask some hard questions? And I think, I'm so excited about this, that I think the wellness well-being field is that place where we can help people to ask those questions. And, you know, it was um, Dr. Dale Matthews, great researcher. He wrote a book called The Faith Factor, unbelievable book. But he has a great quote. He said that, um, people change not because they just want to live longer, but because they want to live better. Mm. And I think that's what Frank was trying to tell me. For years, we've been trying to tell people, hey, you know, if you exercise more, you eat well, you're going to live longer. And Frank is flat out said, I don't care. I don't want to live longer. I just want this pain to go away. I want to find a deeper reason to even wake up in the morning. And I think Dr. Matthews nailed it. You know, people change not because they just want to live longer. They want to live better lives. Yeah. And, and they also, there's something in there about a sense of belonging that is usually part yeah. of stories too, that, uh, that I, you know, I talked about these things with um, a couple, you know, Rachel being one of those recent people that were on the podcast, but it's something too in the work that I've done with people that, that you, it's difficult to start talking about that in some ways, but it's really beautiful when you get people to talk about who they are and what they care about mm -hmm. before you start getting into some of the details about how to live a better life. And one of the great activities that, that I've done with groups lately is to ask them to draw 
a self-portrait, but don't draw them yeah. as a person. There's, there's a couple things that I love about that is everyone automatically, for the most part, assumes that they're not very creative, which to me mm-hmm. is rubbish. Everyone is creative to some degree. In, it's important yeah. to us to express our creativity and not worry about the judgmental part. None of, you know, none of these things are going to be hung in a museum. Well, unless I build a right. self-portrait someday. But, um, but what, we do, what I've done is I've asked people to just start, and usually this requires a couple questions before, is to think about things in their life that matter to them. Think about the roles they play in their life and describe those in some words and start creating kind of like a list and then and then put that page aside or flip it over and then draw yourself as an object so mm-hmm. instead of trying to draw yourself as a person which scares everyone yeah. draw an object and then then we can do some fun things with that object is to humanize it put some arms on mm-hmm. it, sunglasses add some headphones or have it do something that matters to you but but as this process is going on it is opening up that door to creativity and expression which all the science and research points to that being very healthy for people yeah and it also allows them to reflect and to decide sometimes really how do they want to approach life so yeah or or it may cause them to take pause and say, I need to change. This is, I figured out now I need to change this. I, I am a doormat and I'm a doormat. Mm-hmm. I feel like everyone comes to me, but then I feel stomped on and I never get to talk about me. Well, right. right. There, that was the point that we want that that's right there. That answers the question. We need to get to that. Now we can talk about how you can live better. Um, yeah. Or, for someone who has a bunch of ideas and they want to grow, they want to continue to grow their ideas and they draw themselves as a light bulb and that that's prideful for them. But it also, um, we talk about energy of light bulbs. So where do you get your energy? How do you, how are you able to sustain your forward movement? These are the things that truly matter to people. And if we, if we reframe wellness in that way, like every, you know, you've talked about here, the meaning of life, meaning in the moment. If we start there, we're probably going to have better results at the end. And we would have, I agree, we would have done, we would have really been, as you say, make wellness foundational rather than oftentimes transactional. Where we're, yeah, you Derek, you just brought up a really interesting point. And, and I'm so, again, so proud of you and so happy that you're doing this. And I just love Rachel. And I mean, just it, when you talk with Rachel and, and like yourself, you feel this deep sense of connection and you know you when you meet people that are just such great listeners and, and not even just a great listener, because, you know, people can listen to you, but they're not attending you. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been there where you're talking to somebody, you've got their phone and they're looking at your, their phone and like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're hearing you but they're not attending you, you know, and I think there's some basic skills that we as wellness and health professionals that we would really do well to learn and understand. For example, as you're alluding to with just drawing an object, what a beautiful exercise 
you know, in a way to step away from that critical, you know, we have a tendency to criti- criticize ourselves so easily, mm-hmm. how to uh, displace that on, on a, on a object that really gives us more objectivity, you know, and almost like a drone, you can step away from yourself and look at yourself in such a powerful and safe way, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, for example, there, I would never lead with suffering, you know, because that's a very, um, difficult question to talk about the pain in a person's life so much like a therapist not that we are therapists when we're working with people but even just discussing their narrative talking about their story you know being um, better at asking questions and truly listening and attending to someone's story and that's what I was doing with Frank Derek and I didn't even know I was doing it Mm. I was so enthralled with this man and trying to understand him that I was just naturally asking him questions, but safe questions where he felt comfortable and slowly, but surely it was like this onion that was just peeling. And I wasn't even really aware of what I was doing, but at, now I realize I was asking like narrative therapy, right? Just asking the questions to allow someone to share their story. And as that story comes out, Oh my gosh, Derek, it's beautiful. And, and to your point, that's what I think is missing so deeply in our society right now. We are so disconnected, so lonely. Um, I think oftentimes our technology, and again, technology is fantastic, but I find myself struggling with it. So many times we're, we're on our phone, we're, we're texting, we're, we're not engaging with the individual eye to eye, face to face. And what consequences are we are we uh, experiencing because of that? And so I think as health professionals, if we can begin to bring back the idea of listening well, attending well, asking great questions, and then integrating purpose practices into our interventions, into our programming, leading with that foundationally, um, and asking very poignant questions, but safe questions where people feel, as you mentioned, just your, your idea of drawing an object. It's a great exercise. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, and I, you bring up another really good point and this would be an entire another podcast, which we could, we should schedule and talk about soon. But I just read over the summer, I read Zuck, this wonderful book about how algorithms and Facebook have, um, and this was based on a lot of the, um, information about the 2016 presidential election, but it it involved, it was much bigger than that. It was the Mm -hmm. backstory as to how um, platforms like Facebook, how they build themselves up in the name of building connection. But because of the way algorithms work, they create content filters, which are Mm. actually gutting a lot of what you just talked about. A lot of, the feeling of connectedness or um, feeling positive and healthy about the world that we live in and society in general. And we all know this in our current climate, it feels divisive because divisive gets more clicks. And so bad information, dangerous, reckless information is usually more exciting. So it gets more clicks, which means it gravitates to the top of people's news um, whatever platform they're using, the top of the news feed, and we end up trying to figure out how did how did we get to this point 
when the algorithms that are being used are driving us to this point. And if we think about that as health and wellness professionals, how can we think about the way technology works and help us create uh, in a way either, you know, kind of get around these content filters to help people right. or be a, be a player in making the change because we're not going to get rid of social, you know, media and a lot of these technologies. And it was crazy that I just, my daughter's in government class and she was reading Federalist 10 from the Federalist mm. and it talked exactly about a collective group. You know, it, it's, it's the paper that talks about how we get past factions and it's so timely mm. today to understand right. how our government, how the people that were involved in building our government and our constitution were thinking about the dangerousness of factions. And so when you bring up, yeah, when you talk about social media, like there is a wellness part in here that I feel like we're not in a way we haven't, we as a field haven't caught up to it in a, in a way that we can help drive people to understand the place that that really fits in their life. And it's challenging. It's challenging when we're not, when those, we know content filters are driving a lot of people's decision-making and right. we see them and we're wondering how did we arrive here? Well, it, it's, it's deeply embedded in the webs going back to my old anthropology and Clifford Geertz. It's the, it's in mm-hmm. the webs we've woven and now we're products of those. And sometimes that's not good. Absolutely. And, and going back to Frankel, you know, Victor Frankel would um, really allude to the idea that it's distraction. It's keeping us from asking the more challenging questions of ourselves. Exactly. Um, because again, like you, like you mentioned, it, it, it's titillating. It's exciting. It's, it's it, you know, we, it, it affects our, our, our chemistry. And when we watch the news, it gets us either really upset or really angry and frustrated and, and people can become addicted to that. And so, I mean, one of the things, Derek, I was just recently talking to a group, uh, a group of retirees, and these are folks that all work for the LA County, and they're all very financially, you know, stable, they're getting great pensions, but every person there, and there were some early retirees, some were in their early 60s, some were in their 70s, a couple in their 80s, but the majority of them, all of them were saying that, you know what, I'm just, when I, when I stopped working, I lost my sense of purpose and I need to have a sense of meaning and purpose in my life. And so again, we're hearing it from so many sides. And then I go and speak at a college and I'm talking about the power of, of what's your why and the power of purpose. And I have these kids lining up to talk afterwards about how lonely, how disconnected they are and how, how frustrated they are. So at both ends of the spectrum of the lifespan, you know, I think that deeper question of, our meaning and purpose in life is foundational. And so I, as you're talking, Derek, I keep thinking about, boy, we need to recapture the soul um, of wellness. And I think we can, we truly can. I think our best days are ahead of us, that we keep pointing people in the right direction, listening well, attending well, you know, learning. I think we're constantly learning about uh, interventions that work and don't work and really bring, bring the soul and the spirit back of, really helping people to connect. Um, and you know, I, I think, I think we can, Derek, I think our best days are ahead of us. Yeah. And, and I really want to echo 
all of these things, you know, we've both been in that role as a practitioner too, and moving people and moving businesses is the, is a challenge. And, and I think we're up to it. I think, I think there's enough good people in our field to help usher in these changes. But I mean, you know, there's few things more, um, more, uh, I don't even know what the right word is more challenging than doing blood pressure checks and health coaching yeah. manufacturing site, you know? Um, but those are, those aren't, you know, oft, oftentimes, so those are the conversations, you know, the business world is asking us to have with their clients because they think that's, what's going to make them healthier. We're mm-hmm. on the saying, no, that's not how this works. You know, like the, the whole idea of setting smart goals is easier to track than having a conversation with someone about something that is bothering them or they're sad about, or has been, um, stopping them from maximizing their life when there's no goal yeah. to set, it's difficult to measure yet those are the conversations we need to have more often and not just at a personal level but if we want companies to express that they love and appreciate their employees then that needs to find a way to be manifested in every part of their culture and you know i work a lot with companies and there's a there's a those are two just de- those are two desperate things, disparate things that are um, challenging for us to try to get these more momentum in the in the field towards moving wellness away from the check boxes and siloed yeah. processes into a deeply woven culture of who we are and why we're doing it. Well, and Derek, that just points to all the more why I'm so thankful for you and individuals like yourself and Rachel and Ryan Piccarella and other leaders in the industry. They're really pointing the way and telling leaders in organizations around the country and the world that we've got to do it differently. We have to, and going back to Frank again, I'm, you know, I apologize for continuing to go back then, but Frank was like my, my Yoda, right? Mm -hmm. Frank was teaching me, when I hadn't, I didn't realize the teacher showed up, you know, he was there and I was actually learning so much from him. He was screaming, you know, for humanity and for really everyone that our souls depend on it of really asking why, you know, you mentioned earlier the definition of wellness and this idea of a successful life and successful living, but you're right, Derek, what does that mean? You know, for a company, and I think we're asking these questions finally of companies, you know, it's one thing to be profitable, but what, why? Mm-hmm. It's great. The money's fantastic, right? But what are we, what's our why as an organization? What are we all about? And I think companies are asking those deeper questions now, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that we're seeing it in organizations like Tom's Shoes, you know? I think, you know, buy one, give one, you know, this idea of really helping and having um, a, a deeper connection to society that um, we're not just trying to make a buck. We're actually trying to help people. We're really trying to help people live a good life, a better life, a meaningful life. And I think Derek, you think about Dr. Seligman's work, you know, this idea of moving from a pleasant life, this idea of pursuing pleasure, you know, where we all start there. I think that we're trying to find what makes us feel good. And then we move to the good life, you know, this idea of finding what we value 
and pursuing that. But then he moves to the meaningful life, you know, this idea of positive emotions and, and being fully engaged in life and having really strong, intimate, healthy relationships. Oh my gosh, Derek, the power of relationships is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, that's, I think we neglect to address our relational health and how that you know, really oozes into other aspects of our well-being. Um, and then meaning, right? Having a sense of deeper meaning and purpose and value in our life and, and this idea of accomplishment and mastery. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's this athlete in me that constantly wants to be challenged and to do something that's a stretch. And I love that. And, you know, people like Dr. Paul Wong, you know, the father of meaning therapy, he he found that this idea of achievement, of pursuing meaningful goals. Like when I was playing football, Derek, it was, it was such a blessing to have football. Um, for me, uh, if I didn't as a kid, I don't know where I would have ended up. I truly don't. I'll be really honest that mm-hmm. it was, it was a great place to socialize. It was a great place to test myself, to challenge myself, to, to fail, to, to, um, grow. Oh my goodness. You know, as a coach, Derek, you can take a young man, a young girl, and just see them blossom in front of you because they're given this environment of support, of thankful that you're such a good coach. And and I think we're beginning to see these coaches really look at at, at their athletes as a whole person, right. you know, not just as a as an end to accomplishing a goal. And, and, you know, make me feel good about myself as a coach. You know, this is for you to help you grow. Mm-hmm. I love that, Derek. Honestly, what you're doing, and I'm just going to just share with your audience that kudos to you, my man, all the stuff that you're doing to help young men become young men and talking to them about things that, you know, they would never hear possibly at home or in school. Um, you're really coming alongside them and mentoring them and making them to become stronger individuals, not just physically, but emotionally and relationally and spiritually. I love it. It's, we need more Derek Bells out there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Those are, but again, too, even in sport, if you're only having X's and O's discussions, you're missing the heart of the athlete. And if you're missing that, then you're really not helping them and they're not going to learn much. And it's probably not going to be something that they look back on and say, Oh, that was meaningful. But those, and and you know, I mean, the field is full of the few coach or should say, I mean, it's a bottleneck, but there are coaches who have done that historically. But I think the, I think that it is critical to understand when you have your captive audience, that sport is the conduit to learn about life. Sport is, a spoke on a wheel, but it's a hugely important, strong place to instill a lot in someone's mind that's open to it. Athletes love, they love togetherness. They love coach, their coach athlete, you know, relationship. That's, that's what they want to look up to in that Mm. That means as us as coaches, we need to approach it with the sensitivity that this is their sport and this is their opportunity. And if we respect that, then I think we're doing the right thing too. 
I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely true. Yeah. And Derek, maybe that's really the answer. I think you just nailed it. That I think the the coaching world is beginning to realize that we we need to address the whole person, the whole athlete. And we're seeing the same in the wellness well-being world mm-hmm. that I think individuals like yourself and, and others that are leading the way, uh, I think that we're having these tougher conversations. And um, I, I really believe that the, the next 10 years are going to be really important for us to um, steer, steer the ship well, you know, to steward yeah. well. I think it's really important. Yes, I agree. Well, Sean, we started with all of us having a story. What would be your parting thoughts here as we continue to embark on the highway to well? Yeah, you know, Derek, I think life is so beautiful and there's so many opportunities to connect deeply with those around us and in our, our sphere of, of influence in our lives. And I would just mention to those in your audience, I know the majority of folks that listen to this podcast are health professionals. And I would just encourage them to consider really three things, um, three things that may be helpful. They've been very helpful for me um, in, in assisting others and, the first, I use an acronym, um, AIM, and the, the first idea is to really help people activate their story. So really take it, um, take that opportunity to sit down with individuals or whether you're speaking or you're in a position of um, leadership to, to spark that curiosity, to activate a conversation, begin to listen, help them to start with their story um, just by asking questions um, about them learning and understanding who they are, where they've come from. I think that's critical. And then I think the next step would be to integrate purpose practices, you know, begin to help people assess their purpose, um, assess, uh, like you had mentioned, Derek, just simple exercises to really assess what their view of themselves may be. That's a beautiful way to start and helping them to really understand the benefits of, of a purposeful life. Um, and then really begin to brainstorm with your client, you know, of what life could look like. And then I think the third is to move with them, make, making meaning a mindset, you know, helping them to draft their why, helping them to really understand the, the deeper dynamic of, of their purpose. And there's a beautiful word, Derek, I think I may have shared this with you before, but it's a, it's a Hebrew word and it's Kavana, beautiful. And it's interesting because this idea of kavana, um, rabbis would teach their students when they came to the lesson, when they came to school and learned from the sacred scriptures, the rabbi would instruct the student to come with kavana, to come with intention and purpose. And when they did that, the lesson would open up the window of their soul. And I love that phrasing because kavana, if we can help people find meaning, even in the simple things of life, the difficult things of life. How can we help them find that deeper sense of meaning and helping them develop that meaning mindset? Mm-hmm. I think if we can just do those simple things, oh my gosh, Derek. So I really encourage our health professionals to help people aim, you know, activate, start with story, integrate 
purpose practices and then help people develop that meaning mindset to live their why daily. Mm. Um, I think if we would do well, we would do well as an industry if we were to help to point people in the direction of finding their why and helping them live it daily. That's beautiful. I love that word, Kavana. Oh, it's fantastic. Isn't it great? It's, it's such great. a beautiful word. It's so it's powerful. It's rich. It's contextual. Those are key things I look for in words. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you again, Sean. This was absolutely wonderful. I can't wait to continue our discussions. I think we've cornered about three or four more topics. And, <laughs> and we didn't even get around to talking about our love of John Cougar Mellencamp, which <laughs> I, I, anyone that tells me they're also a fan, I feel immediately like a brother. <laughs> I just, you're just dating, my, dating me. All, that's what you're doing, Derek. That's what you're doing. I dated myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you again. And we will Thanks, definitely be talking again soon. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thanks. All the best, bud. Yeah. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye.